Nick, did you know that you can speed up the speed on YouTube as well? Yep. Because oh. I only just discovered that. That's like the way to go. <laughs> Dude, I'm always looking for ways to speed up. Sam. And if you if you're on double if you're on double speed right now, turn me up because I'm gonna go too fast for you. So you have to turn it down. Otherwise it's gonna be a meaningless experience you for you. All right, let's uh, talk, my fellow men of the cloth. Let's uh, mm. let's do this. Let's pick up the conversation. We've got a great subject tonight. Uh, baptism. Uh, still, but really not only about baptism. So if you're getting tired of that, it's this is where you start seeing it's really not about baptism. It's about everything else. Baptism yes. as covenant judgment. Boom. So before we looked at baptism as the new creation, uh, and there you start seeing how you know these major intersections of theology take place, um, and how baptism really is just an excuse to talk about the other stuff. Uh, and same thing. Yep. Uh, today and probably all the the, the times uh, from this point for a while but uh we are looking at fesco's book so that's our reference point i'm not sure that we're really we don't have the goal of giving you the definitive summary or uh you know just a, a review of fesco's book but uh, it is our reference point and um, we'll just kind of use it to keep the conversation moving on it is a great chapter i really enjoyed this one um, so we'll just kind of give you an overview and we'll chat it through and then if it goes in different ways well that's how it goes um, any guy, anything you guys want to say by way of intro? Well, I think just saying what Fesco says, um, he complains that a lot of forms of theology don't have this connection, you know, and uh, he lists Anabaptist and he doesn't say Reformed Baptist. He says particular Baptist, referring to the fact that our confession has cut certain statements out. He refers to Schleiermacher, so he just throws us in the, in there with a yeah, mix of those that guys. Hurt. That, that was a little bit painful. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Claiming that we don't have a covenant connection. And I, I mean, it's when I look around at various forms of modern uh, evangelicalism, it's mm. true. The doctrine of the covenant, and in particular, just looking at the thread of judgment moving through Scripture. Yeah. No one likes to talk about wrath. No one likes to talk about yeah. judgment. No, I think it's a good point. Two neglected topics in one. And you know what the thing is for me as well? I, I just want to stress this up front. I don't think, and I think this is true of a lot of Baptists. And, you know, it's not, I, I think we've said before that every Baptist worthy salt has has had to really work on that position, you know, and, and just figure out why it is that he's Baptistic, especially if you're on that reform train in some way, shape or yeah. form. Let's leave aside the, the identity issue for a second. And just, I'm trusting that anyone listening who takes a different opinion on this will well, at least be able to empathize that, you know, it's not only Presbyterians and Reformed that appreciate the broader Reformed uh, tradition, but it, it makes it hard to be Baptistic. I mean, because it's it's basically you are, you know, you, you're moving away from this this great mainstream that you really appreciate. So you've had to work for it. And then and then the worst part about it is that you have to kind of move into a, a, a tradition that you really don't appreciate. You know, the, the, we've said before that the Baptist thing is a bit of an anomaly and, and almost like we have nothing to do with any Baptist history anyway um, and have no, we have no real concern for it. Um, and, you know, certainly when it comes to things like Arminian general Baptist traditions and so forth, I mean, it's really just we're united by the fact that we baptize and we're not even united on that. Uh, so it's, it's a kind of uh, irrelevant it's it's but it's not appealing you know so you have to be a baptist in spite of that you know and 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 i think the thing that he gets at right up front here is you, know, you feel the pang of it because it's one of those things you have to work through you know you're gonna have to be a baptist in spite of the reality that it's true that there hasn't been a lot of grappling with the right stuff in history i mean of course the reformed baptists uh, and I would call them Reformed, but, you know, the Reformed Baptists are an exception to this. But they're a very small drop in the ocean, and, you know, it's it's a it's a difficult run. And then, of course, you know, if you become a Baptist pastor, it just means you're saying goodbye to money forever. If you go Anglican, you're going to get paid, <laughs> you know. So there's that. So when you become a Baptist, you're worth your salt, you know. And that's the, that's the bottom line. You know, and, and hopefully that comes through in, in what we're – doesn't mean we're right, but – you know, it means that you're not doing it just to, to drink the Kool-Aid. You know, you, you're doing it because 
you believe there's something in the Bible that, you know, despite uh, all the things working against you at various points, um, it's, it's, yeah, it's just got to, it's got to be done ultimately. So at least if someone's listening, you know, I would appreciate that point. If I was listening to something, I would want to just, just you know, think through that yeah, issue. Amen. So, you know, coming more to to his content, though, um, he starts off with the importance yes, of the covenant. So, um, yeah, exactly. And, you know, just on this very idea, you know, of, of you know, Baptists have not appreciated the importance of the covenant, uh, but the Reformed tradition has, you know, and you see it's, it is, as he says, it's fundamental to understanding the Bible it's a hermeneutic that the Bible itself gives us, and the Reformed people have largely embraced that concept. You know that um, it sort of takes on a more generic biblical theological form outside of the Reformed world. But basically, uh, you know, I think it's ultimately that that covenant hermeneutic that that is so valuable, and the, the Reformed tradition has put forward and kept and embraced. So yeah. I appreciate that. So we probably need to ask the question, and Mike, you're the definition expert on this one what is a covenant and what definitions should we avoid well let's take the long scenic route all right because you know definitions end up being like no one cares and no one's going to remember so let's let's go you know the more deep and substantial route let's go you know where do we get our definition from why are we getting it from that and you know what's the deal here and and really what we're looking for is is almost like less a definition and more the framework the substance the understanding you know what is it that's yielding this covenantal hermeneutic Uh, because he does mention you've you can give definitions and they're, they're kind of they're difficult because you get a whole different you get a lot of different kinds of covenants you know you you can talk about a marriage covenant you can talk about a covenant between friends and that's in the bible you know you can talk about um uh, just the, the parody covenants or, or kind of just those covenants of of defense almost um and then he does mention that that you have something the, the mainstay here that we want to latch onto is that that hittite suzerain vassal idea because in history around this time you did see a kind of covenant between a suzerain king and the vassal subjects or the vassal lesser king that that is so closely associated it is quite amazing when you he does give some examples but there are a whole bunch of books on this in fact john walton and just there's just some great books out there that they really explore this obviously klein does as well but exactly what that that covenant um atmosphere looked like you know between a, a suzerain king and a vassal king and and the, and the cutting of the covenants and the invoking upon themselves this maledictory you know curse and all of that is there in all of the literature and so, you know, one of the big biblical reference points that we have to to start thinking about this, I think, is the covenant with Abraham. Uh, we have such a clear cutting of the covenant, uh, calling of the, the, the curse. But, you know, I think one of the things that we're, we have to sort of define as we go into it is that we're looking for a definition that is a... Um, it's it's a we're talking about the covenants that God makes with man at the end of the day, you know. So they're all going to be divinely imposed. So even talk about unilateral and bilateral. It's not really getting it because obviously they're all divinely imposed, even when they're covenants of works. Uh, but they're they're these divinely imposed um, arrangements that have promises and sanctions, you know, blessings and curses, and th- yeah. then it's just the matter of of trying to figure out. You know, are they they're one of two kinds? Either they're a divinely imposed arrangement where God takes the oath and man doesn't, meaning it's it's yes, it's certainly unilateral, but it's a covenant of grace for us because we're not we're not you know needing to fulfill any part of that bargain, and God Himself calls the sanctions upon Himself. Or there's a kind of suzerain vassal covenant in Scripture where. Uh, God imposes it, but man takes the oath and calls the the, the malediction upon himself uh, as well, which which means that there are two two uh, parties at play there and two um, uh, things that need to be checked out on uh, in terms of whether that gets fulfilled or not. So I think you know that's just without wanting to get into all the technical definitions and and just the stuff that puts people off. And basically that's what's going on. You just 
you want to get out of thinking about it because a marriage covenant is good insofar as it shows the the relationship element and the bond element and the lifelong and partnership and duties and all that. But it's completely wrong to think about a marriage covenant when we're thinking about, you know, these ideas where, where God imposes a covenant, you know, with man. And, and that's just not how it works. You know, marriage covenant is completely different in that sense. Um, it, it's yeah. more like a, a business um, thing that, that people enter into. What about at a level. church membership covenant? Well, you know, there again, it's almost like an agreement, a strong agreement, you know? Well, there are sanctions, there are, there are curses and blessings, you know? So that's a conditional. Are there, though? Are I think that's the, that's the question. Let's not jump the gun on that. Well, I, but so, is, it, is it wrong to carry, like, it's not, and I, th- I found it quite helpful to carry around a notion, just a bottom line definition of covenant, like a working definition of just basically an oath-bound yeah legally binding commitment you know like with that, that contract with promises and sanctions and uh, well that and, goes with the oath yeah so yeah. in my mind i'm just thinking oath whoever's making the oath they're the ones taking on the responsibility of blessings and of obedience and disobedience blessings and, and curses but it's not so much obedience and disobedience as it is just fulfilling the oath you know yeah, I mean, oath-bound commitment with sanctions, and sanctions, by the way, includes the promises, you know, even though it has a negative aspect, you know, the, the idea there is the, 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 if you do this, you live, if you don't do this, you die. Um, but, but I mean, an oath-bound commitment with that sanction ele- element does essentially um, uh, grab all of it. I think it's, you know, and, and the oath thing is helpful as well, because, you know, you, you're looking, how is a covenant made? It's made by that oath what what how do you make an oath you know that's how you make a covenant and 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 there's something there that needs to yeah, stay and also in the definition helps answer the question well what's the difference between just a promise and a covenant exactly as yeah well? yeah and so even just a strong an oath without those sanctions might might qualify as as a promise you know that's just very very strong but the, the covenant arrangement has some sort of outflow to it it has some sort of result and outcome based on on on, on this arrangement and so that's what we want to look at. And the reason it's, it is, def, uh, you know, important to get into those things beyond just being helpful to have a, a working definition is that you, um, you know, you have, you know, people that have tried to define the covenants as something, complete. if it's not gracious, it's not a covenant, you know. So as surely as it's imposed, it's got to be gracious. And then, of course, what they do is they, they just, you know, preempt a whole lot of trouble because then what about any kind of works arrangement there? They're just uh, negating yeah. to see that as any kind of uh, legitimate covenant in scripture so that typically means you don't see the the works arrangement in the garden and so forth yeah. but um yeah and if you don't see the and if you don't see the word covenant you think a covenant might not exactly. be there yeah right uh, so coming up with a definition helps you identify something that may not necessarily be explicitly called a covenant exactly. but actually the is. word concept fallacy you don't want to fall into the word concept family uh, fallacy uh the, the the concept might be there even if the word isn't and so, yeah. so yeah, it is important definitely to get a, but I just found like, I don't know, maybe I'm just one of those guys. I remember the, for the first, like, you know, five years of trying to get into covenant theology, every book opens up with a definition and, and, you know, you're just like, oh my goodness, can we just ditch the definitions already and tell me what's going on? You know, but then you realize like around the back door, okay, well, basically, you know, the definitions actually are important at the end of the day, but it just puts me off <laughs> to start there, you know? Um, but I think, I think that ancient uh, Near Eastern context is super important and super helpful. You know, like he mentions, basically, you've got this, um, this king who basically, you know, he'll take over a, um, a lesser territory, you know, this is the great king and, and uh, and he'll make an arrangement. Let's say the king of Assyria will make an arrangement or the king of Babylon will make an arrangement with the lesser sort of nation. And either he's going to totally plunder them, but it's in his best interest to, to basically try and have a peaceable settlement, save some war, you know, bring them under his reign. But then he's got to make sure that they are allegiant to him, basically. So he goes, listen, I'm your great king. I rescued you, you know, in this way. I've kept you from perishing, blah, blah, blah. And it typically follows yeah. this very, very set apart, uh, set down formula. Um, and now, you know, this is what I require of you. And each, and then they'd cut this animal in two parts and it'd be this way of blood. And each party would walk through the way of blood in the oath posture, <clears throat> the oath stance. And, um, and basically, uh, you know, call upon themselves this curse that they're standing in, right? They're like, may I be like this animal uh, cut in two. And then, then you see them do that. They call upon themselves these crazy curses. And, and the idea is that this settles, you know, it's a very religious thing. They, they settle, uh, you know, that this is 
their allegiance will be to this uh, suzerain. So there's just no doubt. I mean, and I think Klein showed this in uh, so much of his material, but he, there's just no doubt that that what's happening there with with Abraham and and uh, later with Sinai, it's, it's all just in this realm of the ancient Near East, and it's working with that paradigm yeah. without a doubt. You know, you don't want to. I do think that people have pointed out that you know you could make too much of that, and I think that's true. But in general, it's hard to ignore, you know. And I think, as Gentry and Vellum said, uh, I think um, I've just recently uh, read their little uh, splurge on this, and they were just like, well, obviously, you know, we should assume that 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 the the definition of covenant is coming from its context unless otherwise otherwise shown you know and it, yeah. it, it just reinforces the basic reality so that's mm. that but then this all uh, comes becomes really key when we start looking at what circumcision is because all of that is the bloody sacrificial rite that stands as the sign yeah. of the thing itself which is the calling of the the maledictory um, yeah so fesco talks about uh, covenant judgment and then circumcision being the sign of covenant judgment and then linking circumcision to baptism. Mm. So that's, it's all preamble to build up to that connection yeah. between circumcision and, and baptism speaking of covenant judgment. Yeah. Totally. Um, the whole, the whole thing there with, um, I think this is a big point for Baptists. I mean, let's, I don't want to bring it in too soon, but uh, you know, I think it's huge. Um, just to play all my cards up front here, because you know, I think it's it's crazy because it's you know he's setting this theology up, you know. The, the, but I think this is what makes me a Baptist, you know. So I just I just want to say this up front as we look at it, um, and I'm hoping people that disagree with the Baptist position can also just see at least the pain that I'm in on this point, right? But basically, um, you've got you've got this um, you know this this reality of the covenant, which certainly involves judgment, right? We've just said that there's the bring the judgment upon me if I don't do this thing. Okay. So as we know with Abraham, he doesn't walk through the pieces at all. God walks through the pieces in the theophany and, and calls the, yeah. essentially says, if there's going to be any covenant breaking over you, it's going to be on me. So preempting, of course, what Israel will break the covenant and it will be on him. And this is the cross. He will take the way of blood. But then the sign that he gives is the sign of circumcision. And you're like, well, why? Why a sign upon the foreskin of a male reproductory organ? Yeah. But when you say it like that, you realize, oh my goodness, obviously, because the whole thing is that through the seed of Abraham, it, through his male reproductory ability, you know, there is going to be a promised Messiah who will walk the way of blood. So even the tearing away of the body of the, the, the sinful Adamic flesh symbolized in that act of that bloody you know, act of um, that sacrificial right, or, or that's uh, not sacrificial right, but that right, um, as it's torn away, that's, that is pointing to the very thing that the seed produced by the male reproductory organ, so to speak, will bring about as he then is cut off. He receives all the curse for the sake of the covenant community, making them a people of God. And so that's why when, um, you know, when they don't get circumcised, they get cut off. Because it's like, you're either going to be judged, you know, in the coming Messiah that this male reproductory organ seed thing is pointing you to, or you're going to be judged in Adam. And, and you're going to be cut off from God's people and not be, you know, part of the covenant community. Your choice, you know. And yeah. I think that's that's huge because it, it does make sense immediately of, you know, what happens there with, with um, you know, Zipporah and Mo Moses and, um, you know, uh, that, that weird scenario where she's basically averting God's wrath through the blood sacrifice, well, the, the, the rites anyway, that, that points forward to this, reinforcing all of that, reinforcing the Passover um, idea where the seed, you know, of Abraham now expressed under the mediation of, of Moses is going to, is kind of, you yeah. know, the Passover is going to, is going to express that very reality. And then, of course, that Israelite seed has to be circumcised um, before they enter into the promised land. <laughs> you know? And, yeah. and then, okay, last little monologue part, and then I'll, I'll leave it over. But this is the part that blows my mind. They had to be circumcised on the eighth day. Yes. So it's like, dude. New creation. <laughs> I mean, if you think about Colossians, I know we're kind of jumping ahead here, but, but Colossians basically says that we are the new creation. We are the, the circumcision in regeneration. The work of the Spirit has happened in us. 
this is this is the regeneration recreation that's what regeneration means you know we are the beginnings of that new creation we're tasting it in our regeneration that's what circumcision is it's it's been fulfilled in that moment and we are entering into the eighth day in our being born again. I mean, it's it's uh, it's profound, you know. So I mean, <laughs> so all of that. I look at that and I go, okay, well, that, that tells me that to that to try and baptize a baby on the eighth day, so to speak, is just like a hundred percent off, you know, in the wrong direction. It's it's like saying, let's take everything that pointed forward, Sabbath included, and so forth, and let's let's. Um, you know, let, let's let's go back to the shadows. Essentially, you know, it's just a, yeah. a very very um, clear point in my mind. Anyway, so th- that's kind of fair, just a though, quick you could, you could be thinking like, yeah, no, uh, you could be carrying all that symbolism through, but just saying, but for now, we baptize our children the eighth day or something. I mean, I'm not saying I agree with it, but I'm just yeah. saying, you, you know, you 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 don't necessarily have to be clinging to the to the shadows to. Well, the, the reason why I think to, you do, okay. And you, yeah. th- maybe this is worth bringing out just before we go into this is that the whole thing had to do with posterity and the seed, right? That's why mm. that's why a child would be baptized on the eighth day. I mean, sorry, circumcised on the eighth day, because it was through this um, this uh, you know the whole thing. I mean, the actual foreskin you know, uh, ritual, you know, what was it only makes sense in light of a seed posterity, you know? Mm. So if it, it, w- what baptism does though, and this is what Fesco brings out so beautifully is that when you start looking at, um, I mean, think about when the eighth day happens, that's, that's Pentecost, right? And even just the seven times seven plus one, you know, the, the Pente means 50 and, you know, you got, you got basically what, what is it called the Ogdod. <laughs> you know, I think Klein says the Ogdod, basically a pattern of seven plus one. It's the, it's the octave pattern. And, um, and, and basically, I mean, the, the new creation dawns at that point that there we are baptized precisely because Christ was baptized. Christ was baptized yeah. in suffering. Therefore, we're baptized in f- spirit and fire and not consumed by it, but filled by it, etc. And um, and so, you know, we enter as a church into that new creation substance that already not yet at that point. And um, and so the reason why that's that's key when we come down to then thinking about baptism now, I mean, when we're baptized, what is actually happening? We're not saying we're not saying there's any chance of any kind of seed posterity waiting fulfillment, uh, you know, the whole to, to, to baptize a child on the eighth day, waiting for something that's connected to its whole, you know, sign is just, you know, completely out of step. So, you know, to baptize a believer now, you know, who has experienced what the eighth day pointed to, you know, can it, it's sort of, it's just of a piece at that point. Reality must replace the Yeah, shadow. so it's what we've been yeah. saying the whole way through, but it's just, it's helpful to bring out these, um, you know, these little nuances. Let me, let me jump in yeah. there and, and maybe backtrack a little bit and add a, a comment that's helped me <clears throat> so you know we go back to abraham he cuts the covenant he's in he's in uh uh covenant with god mm-hmm. and then there's a sign of the covenant there's in genesis 17 there's the giving of circumcision mm-hmm. um and so circumcision is the sign of the covenant mm-hmm. and uh what stands out to me is that these this institution of circumcision which is a sign mm-hmm. is a type which is also a sacrament yep but we have sacraments that aren't types. Yeah, we are, yeah, exactly. And that that's for me that's the basic difference. I think so. They yeah. have signs which are sacraments and types. Yeah. So they have signs which are sacramental. That's a great point. Yeah. And signs which are typological. But we have sacraments which are signs but not typological. Yeah. And I so you agree, I think we all agree on on, on the fact that yeah. you know, you know because that I think we might have covered this already but but you know the the big pushback is we see a parallel between circumcision and baptiz- baptism. Well, so do we, you know. And there is a parallel, and we're not taking a iota of that away. The parallel—they're both signs in, uh, of the covenant of grace, you know, essentially. Parallel, but not parity. So yeah. there's they run side. They they have a relationship, but they're not copies and pastes yeah, of one another. It's the nature of the actual sign itself that demands a certain administration of yeah. it. You know, so as you say, there is a type. <clears throat> in the sacrament that demands a typological administration uh if, if yeah. there is a symbolic uh element to the sacrament then it demands a uh you know a, a already having uh, already at least at least by way of administration and already uh having yeah. um, happened 
thing, you know, so a profession of faith in this regard. Um, yeah. so, so a federal head in his seed or the male progenitor yeah. pointing forward to Christ or whether it's the nation of Israel as demarcated by this identity marker, yeah. all of those things would fall into the typological administration. Yes, um, absolutely. And yeah, I mean, yeah. You, you know, you've got you've got the, the, the seed. Um, maybe one way you could put it is the spiritual, or at least the physical lineage of Abraham versus the spiritual seed of Abraham, you know, really the idea there being, we're not, we're not even taking away from the fact that, that infants were given the sign and, and exhorted to have faith or told to believe, you know, so it's not like we're wanting to strip it of its spiritual substance, you know, and I think Baptists are guilty of that sometimes. We, we want to just go, there was only a typological element with no spiritual reality. But if you were Abraham, I mean, you're, you're circumcising your kids. And the, the idea is, as surely as you do that, you're commanding them to believe in the Messiah. You're saying, this is your only yeah. hope. Believe or be cut off, so to speak. But And that's fine. The only difference is now, you know, because there's no physical posterity in view or no typological seed, but the seed has come, and we are the spiritual you know, fulfillment of those realities, the, the children of Abraham by faith. Um you know, there is there is now the command to to believe and then receive the sign. You know, that's the bottom line. We receive it because we've already professed it, rather than uh, receive it and then are commanded to to to, yeah. to believe. So this, even the spiritual reality is still there, but it's just it's taking on a different administrative form. And I think the the, the issue of administration for me is just that's. I think the biggest thing because if you had to ask yourself the question, what's the big difference between the old covenant and the new? or at least uh, the Old Testament and the New, you know? Because we all agree that the Spirit was at work, you know, bringing about one covenant regeneration. Of grace. It was all one covenant of grace. It was one experience of salvation, one way of salvation. And even, yeah. I'm, I'm not entirely comfortable. I know the, the, a lot of the, the, the cookie-cut answer is to say, well, we just receive it in greater measure, you know, and it's just greater, and it's just sort of, you know, they try and get out of it. But I, I think even that runs into problems. You, you basically, the thing that's different is the, the administration of the Historia Salutis. There is now no more time typological mystery it's 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 administratively shown to be true in christ right revealed yeah it's it, but what that it yeah. doesn't mean that now we start experiencing these things for the first time you know or, yeah. or even the way that a covenant family would work is different it just means that administratively the the mysterion has now been unveiled you know and yeah. so the the administration of that gospel unveiling must now communicate it it doesn't mean that we're suddenly got more ability to know who's in and who's out it doesn't even mean that we're not going to have false professors of faith you know and and that it's not going to be a mixed sort of situation in the church doesn't mean any of that it just means that administratively there's no more waiting for the for the reality to come you know um and 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 that that on the historia level not on the auto level I don't know if this works as an analogy but i I, it helps me so i don't know but you know the, the kind of like Romans 5, two Adams thing? And you've mm-hmm. got, okay, well, you know, in Adam, you know, you've got death and law and sin and all, all that kind of stuff. And then in Christ, you've got righteousness and just and, and faith and justification and all that. And um, sometimes people have asked me when they've been reading through Romans 5, you know, if all in Adam die, why is it not that all in Christ then receive life? You know, if Christ yeah. is the new Adam, shouldn't it work the same way? And seeing, you know, seeing something like circumcision and baptism and just saying, oh, it works in exactly the same way is a little bit like reading Romans 5 and saying, um, oh, it works in exactly the same way. But it doesn't because you're, the way that you are in Adam is different to the way that you are in Christ. You know, yeah. it, it, is, it is through faith that you come into Christ. And therefore, it's the way that, you know, the circumcision thing, which is, again, not quite the same as being in, in Adam, but it's, it's that physical, you are born into it. Uh, aspect you know that, mm. that is pointing like we say to the to the actual born physical male who will come and fulfill everything mm. is not you know that's how you get into it with with the uh, mosaic covenant and with the abrahamic covenant at one level but then it, you know you you come into christ through through faith not yeah. through those things. and so it's it's just you can't just oversimplify it and mm. and you have to acknowledge that there is a fundamental difference the way that you come into adam and the way that you come into christ it's not just oh now everyone who's born after christ is in christ you know it, it just doesn't work that way it's, and i think there's a yeah. parallel in yeah. the way that 
that you know um baptism is is read back into your circumcision and vice versa and another way you know just to add to what you're saying there and and just agree with you is um that the all of the old creation is matched by the all of the new creation mm. you know it's it's not that only some of the new creation will be saved by christ it's he is the the head of the new creation as adam was the head of the, the old yeah yeah. yeah, we disagree with Augustine, who says that God deliberately sows weeds in the church. Well, I don't know if I disagree. <laughs> well, it's the world, not the church. Right, right, cut yeah. it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. For sure. Yeah. yeah. So uh, maybe just coming back to uh, what Fesco is getting at. So uh, I, I quite enjoyed, you know, his whole discussion of developing the idea of circumcision and covenant judgment and taking it through, you know, Abraham, the Exodus, hmm. the conquest. Uh, bringing it into the the second exodus and the 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 restoration prophets and their prophecies, mm-hmm. and I was amening all the way through. Mm-hmm. I mean, I thought this it's 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 a great little study on you know showing how judgment and being the people of God are linked, mm-hmm. and uh, you know it all climaxes in the restoration prophets in Isaiah fifty three, mm-hmm. in the servant of the Lord who himself will be cut off on behalf of our sins, and um, <clears throat> so that's where the Old Testament is is building up to as Christ is the one who will be cut off. Mm-hmm. And then, so when we see Christ being circumcised on the eighth day and his baptism symbolizing everything that he's embracing. Um, yep. And then his resurrection. And so, yeah, it's all just building up and building up. And when you come to the new Testament and Christ walks onto the scene mm-hmm. and gets circumcised and gets baptized, he's pulling all of those threads together. Yeah, absolutely. The one point on the, on the, um, because uh, I, I I don't I don't disagree with it, but the one point that I wondered about whether or not it, it was you know the best way to put it is it, basically with the Abrahamic covenant, right? So I understand that w- when you get to Moses, you know even before the Mosaic covenant, but even when you get to Moses, there's a certain element of um, may I be cut off. So I think the whole you know Zipporah thing and the foreskin on the foot and and whatever. I I, I think, you know, a lot of what Moses experiences in his early life is obviously pointing to what Israel as a nation is going to experience as a whole. So, you know, I I get that Moses, even before the Mosaic Covenant, Moses is really kind of prefiguring the the Mosaic Covenant as an individual. Um, But when you get to Abraham, the idea that that the, the circumcision is a may I be cut off if I do not fulfill the my side of the thing, I I didn't see that as consistent with what the Abrahamic covenant was. So how could you help? Well, yeah, let me let me make a comment on that. I sort of passed it over, but you brought it up, so that's great. <laughs> so yeah. here's here's my understanding, and it's this is what I think plays in the Baptist favor. You know, traditionally, you know, your Peter Baptist theologians would look at the Abrahamic covenant as sort of norm, a normative administration of the covenant of grace in terms of the believer and his seed. Um, but we would stress it as typological. And then, you know, you'd come to Moses and there's this, uh, this extra covenant that's added, this hypothetical covenant of works, which is sort of a, an extra aspect of administration relating to national and physical blessings um, along the works principle. And there, just could I add there as well, yeah. when they, get, they do get cut off, you know, that's Babylon, that's the, the exile, yeah. that they are... Yeah typologically cut external off because cutting at off. that point they're yeah. saying let us be cut off you know uh, it yeah. becomes a that that covenant of works thing takes over yeah yeah so as as i've wrestled with peter baptist you know abraham is normative mosaic that's the typological one so that they, they'll introduce typological aspects at the at the point of yeah. the mosaic yeah. covenant and see the administrative aspects of a believer in his seed as normative and a framework um for the administration in the new covenant but I think what we see here between Genesis 17 and the Mosaic Covenant, and you see the similarity between if, you, if you're not circumcised, you're cut off, that plays in our favor because it, it shows this progressive typological element that there's, <clears throat> there's a big merge between the Abrahamic and the Mosaic in a way that's not neat. You can't say that's normative and that's typological. And, you know, we can do away with the law, but hang on to Abraham and his seed as normative for baptism. What we see is that, you know, Abraham and his seed and not, and, 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 getting cut off if you're not circumcised it's 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 almost part and parcel with the mosaic in that regard so it's just it's just i think it plays in our favor sure sure genesis 17 is 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 the achilles heel i'd also of the peter baptist case you know a lot of like if you bring that kleinian sort of 
uh, reformed into it. I think a lot of, a lot of you know, they see typolog- uh, typological realities from the Abrahamic covenant forward and even before that, but continuing through the Abrahamic covenant profoundly so in in terms of him being the, the kind of the one that will bring forth Israel, uh, who will bring forth the, the, the Christ. And so the difference is, as I've wrestled with it, is that they're, they're willing to see a, a typology of the pactum salutis uh, in, in Abraham versus the, the, you know, the, the photos operum. So basically, you, you've got the, the, the eternal covenant there, what Christ will do, essentially, in Abraham. He's the one who uh, is willing to, uh, you know, undergo that major trial and, and successfully then is promised that he will have the seed and the land and so forth. So he becomes a, a very strong type of Christ. And in so doing, the, even the emergence of Israel is a, is a kind of, uh, it's, a, it's a typological pointer to what Christ will do in the covenant of redemption uh, worked out in history but um but yeah the, like what you were saying there is is their reluctance to to speak of any you know other kind of uh you know covenant of grace aspect you know um and yeah. so certainly they're they're not willing to we'd agree with them that there's no typology concerning um the works covenant just yet there but uh, it's also true that, that we disagree a little bit on what is what is being uh, prefigured how exactly and again it comes down to how exactly the whole covenant of grace is being administered you know is yeah. it is it a typological administration of the covenant of grace is probably the or normative yeah. yeah exactly and that's just you know i just keep coming back to that point okay so but it isn't my, my, my question is more to do with the nature of the covenant itself so i understand that at a typological level which, which covenant are we talking about the abrahamic that well that, well in since both abrahamic and the mosaic because okay. um I, you see, I see it totally makes sense in the Mosaic Covenant that the cutting off is a kind of, we're making the oath, may we be cut off, here's the sign, may okay. we be like our foreskins if we do not fulfill the, the covenant yeah. kind of thing. Yeah. Um, but in the Abrahamic, it doesn't really fit with the... So I, w- I would say it's the other way around. Like the Mosaic, that's not the Mosaic Covenant. They don't... They they sort of it's added to that the, the the circumcision element is always a covenant of grace I would see you know it, it always the, the issue is just that it points forward I know it becomes associated of course with the 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 law and the mosaic covenant but you know fundamentally you, uh, w- w- what does that mean for you know the whole Galatians thing with you know if you yeah. receive circumcision you are surely it's well a exactly I, I think the issue that, is that Paul is in view there yeah. yeah because it's what it is is essentially it's um. If you think about the whole, the way it, it's almost like if we could just step back from the circumcision thing, I think a helpful way to process it is through the lens of the Sabbath, right? Uh, a very similar sort of thing is going on with the Sabbath in that, and in fact, you know, Colossians, if I'm not mistaken, kind of deals with the Sabbath and circumcision kind of in one go there, and, and that's obviously a bit of a, an issue. But the whole idea there is that as a system, you know, think about from the very beginning, you know, I'm talking about the mosaic now, um, it's, it's, it's recapitulating the Adamic deal, right? And and it's pointing forward to at the to this this need for Sabbath fulfillment. Uh, you know, the inability to to work, to enter into rest, and yet the need for rest at the same time. And the only hope being the one who is who is promised through the seed of Abraham, through this covenant of grace, through this the the, the law keeper, the one who will the one who will suffer, um, you know, and will have that that way of blood fall upon him the isaiah 53 idea and yet the one who will bring in sabbath rest so you think about how gospel oriented that is it's profound it's like it is the gospel the sabbath you know but the reason why we can't go back to sabbath worship is because it's looking forward to what has not yet happened you know and and it's it's really as hebrews put it it's to go back to the types and shadows Uh, the fact that it's enshrined in the law you know, after Abraham makes that a, a sort of permanent fixture uh, because as a whole system, it pointed forward. So now we worship on the Lord's Day because it points back to the, that reality, but it shows that, we, you know, it's not that we're being placed under a, a system that looks forward by way of typology. So coming back to the to the circumcision issue, you know, the, the, ish, the, the, the actual act of circumcision, as we were just saying, like baptized on the eighth day, you know, it's like it's as gospel as... 
um, the Sabbath. You know, it's just it's it's the new creation. It's 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 the other side of that same coin as we were talking about some other time. Uh, you know, you've got the Sabbath is the end of history, and the eighth day is the beginning of eternity. You know, it's the same es- essential reality. So they're they're both pointing to that, and that stays. That's that's a covenant of grace thing, in the sense that you know that's what Christ earns for us. But to be placed under a system of types and shadows is to you know, for Paul, especially as it gets woven into the law and by way of ceremony, is to is to be essentially deny that Christ has come. Right. So, the point the point of my I don't know if it is a disagreement, but it's it's sort of the the point where I'm, I'm not quite clicking with it is yeah. I get I get the gospel aspect of of the typology of circumcision in yeah. the covenant of grace. Like I'm not denying that. Yeah. Um, it's just that as you're kind of reading through the covenants and you go. Okay, Abraham, you got the Genesis 15 thing. God is making the oath. It's a proper unilateral. Unilateral. It's a royal grant covenant. All mm-hmm. that kind of stuff. You know, we got all, all you know, and God is the one basically saying, "May I be cut into mm-hmm. uh, if I do not fulfill." So when circumcision is then added as a sign and seal of faith in chapter 17, um, it's not. It's not, it doesn't seem to at that point. I know that the language of if you don't do this, you will be cut off uh, uh, is there, but it, you know, in Genesis 17, but it, it, it doesn't seem to at that point carry the may we be cut off if we do not keep the covenant. It's more no, than if, we, if we're not, if, we, if we're not part of the covenant, we are by nature of not part of being part of the covenant, we are cut off. You know, so it's more that aspect. That that's what that's yeah. It's not meant to do the may we be cut off thing until the Mosaic covenant. You know, yeah, where we no, okay, yeah, so the, yeah. So when I was reading through Fesco, yeah. I, I didn't think that that distinction was coming through very clearly. Okay. I, it sounded to me like he was merging the because I think when you get to Moses, then circumcision does take on that extra meaning of we yeah. are making the oath. We will be cut off if we do not keep our oath in the covenant. Um, yeah. And so I, I just felt like actually he was talking about the Abrahamic and the Mosaic. And I might have just missed, I might have misread him, but it sounded like he was basically ascribing the same, the same meaning of, if, you know, if I break the covenant, I'm cut off um, uh, again, throughout. I, I got more of a, again, I think, I think what I'm onto what you're saying, and it's sort of, I think it's where he's going with it, and it'll come up probably in the next chapter a little bit more clearly, is that he's wanting to set up this idea that someone's got to be judged, someone's got to be cut off. Yeah. You know, um, and really he's, he's gunning for the idea that baptism has a primary meaning of judgment. You know, mm-hmm. it's uh, when we're, we're as Christians placed in those baptismal waters, you know, the, 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 the primary thing there is, you know, you're being placed, you're giving yourself over to the judgment of God. You know, isn't it amazing, actually, that eight, eight people came through on the ark? <laughs> <laughs> Woo! Just got that just dawned You're on doing me. that number 23 thing again. <laughs> no, it's crazy. Um, anyway, <laughs> but, but I was just thinking, you know, like, like the ark, right? You're just, you're in that ark, you're going through, um, you're going through the floodwaters, you're in the judgment, you know, you're being taken through. So it's judgment, you know, it's redemptive judgment. That's the whole idea. And so if there is, um, you know, if, if you're not willing to, in the ark essentially which is what that that mm. circumcision right would would say you yourself are going to take those judgment waters on yourself and see how you go but everyone's going to get the judgment at that level and and so um i think that's what which he was is going similar for to what, it, what baptism is yeah faith and baptism that's what it means in the new testament if i if i won't be baptized i'm 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 saying you know i'm not going to get in the ark i'm going to deal with the flood on my own terms and yeah you will. yeah exactly and and i think the the difference is going to come out in the next chapter because you know, there he wants to make room for, for um, you know, and you know, to make this thing just about judgment mm-hmm. is essentially to to broaden it uh, enough to include an unbelieving covenant seed, so to speak. You know, so so that that way you can still legitimately baptize your potentially unbelieving children. You know, because this thing is all about judgment primarily. So you. You're giving them over, entrusting them to the judgment of God, um, but you're you're calling them to believe, of course, to to not be found, you know, uh, by themselves without covering on that day. Um, so yeah, but uh, you know, I, I agree with you. I mean, I think it's one hundred percent 
So in other words, I, did I just misread him on that point? Because it sounded I, like yeah, I was... look, I didn't. I, I I saw him making a clear distinction there, you know, uh, between okay. what okay. was happening in the Mosaic Covenant, and I just know also Fesco is quite clear on that in general. Yeah, so, well, that's what surprised me. I did. I wasn't yeah. really expecting. Well, it. I think I, I think I was probably on the same page as Andre. Then. Really? Wow, interesting. Yeah, yeah. I, maybe I was just reading into it, just knowing you know where he comes from normally. Um, but yeah, interesting. With with cool. another read, yeah. Well, maybe we should move to the New Testament and look at mm -hmm. the circumcision of Christ in Colossians 2. Yeah. 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 So, so he asks the big question, what, you know, it talks about uh, the circumcision of Christ and our participation in it. And what is the circumcision of Christ? Right. Is it his eighth day physical circumcision as an infant or is it a reference to his crucifixion? And his resurrection on the eighth day. Going under and coming out. Yeah. Well, I mean, okay. My, um, I think without a doubt, and I think Fresco's right in this, it's the crucifixion. It's the, it's, yeah. the, it's the redemptive event, you know, as we were just saying there, the crucifixion slash resurrection. And, um, and this is obviously everything we've been saying it points to. But because Christ was baptized with the baptism of God's wrath, which was the cross, you know, and, and therefore the true circumcision, uh, you know, there is, you know, it, it attaches that meaning. There, there is the, the parallel. You know, you can't, they do point to the same thing. Mm -hmm. You know, this is why I'm emphatic that people who want to rip that apart are wrong. You know, there is a, there's a correct correspondence between circumcision and baptism. Um, but the baptism of Christ then leads to uh, what is possible for us as we are regenerate and circumcised in heart mm -hmm. and baptized by the Spirit. And even that is, you know, I've often thought like the, the I mean, I know there are all sorts of ways you could, and I think none of them are necessarily the definitive thing. Yeah, I think a lot of things are going on. But when, the, when Jesus talks about Spirit, you know, to be baptized in Spirit and fire, and the, the day of Pentecost, I mean, I think that idea there with the, the spirit falling and the fire falling is like the judgment has intruded. You know, the, 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 the fire that will take us all out at the end essentially has intruded with the spirit. And the people who are filled with the spirit are not consumed. Instead, they are lit up like the menorah lamp. You know, there they are, just the, the, this, this candle Sabbath lamp in the middle of in Jerusalem kind of thing. And, um, and, and the whole thing is the reason it doesn't consume them is because the judgment has already happened and the baptism of wrath has already happened and so so then coming back to our point that we made a while ago that that's why we get baptized you know because it's already happened administratively yeah. so now it's like you can't baptize you know infants anymore you just can't do it because now it's about it's about believing and then being baptized so yeah 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 i don't know what you guys felt as you read through his handling of colossians 2 but because um, I mean, there, there, you know, baptism is a compound symbol, isn't it? It, it? it makes reference to a lot of things. It makes reference to cleansing. It makes reference to new creation. It makes reference to the spirit. It makes reference to judgment. It makes yeah. reference to the, the physical redemptive historical event of Christ going into the grave and coming out of the grave. Mm. And it felt to me, and maybe you can correct me. I know he gets to this point in the, the last section of the chapter, but as he was dealing with it here, it felt to me as if he was soft pedaling the burial aspect of baptism. So he kept wanting to talk about, you know, baptism relates to circumcision and circumcision talks about circumcision of the heart and mm -hmm. the receiving of the spirit. Mm -hmm. Instead of saying, you know, uh, that uh, circumcision relates to baptism as an act of judgment of being cut off and Christ going into the grave. Mm -hmm. So it seems like he kept downplaying the going into the grave, which really sets it up for immersion, doesn't it? And he kept sort of going over to the circumcision of the heart and the receiving of the spirit as a way to sort of set it up for a fusion. For a fusion, right. I just felt yeah. like he was setting it up for something he wants to say later. And he felt like he was soft pedaling certain details to my mind. Hmm. Yeah, I didn't get that at all because, you know, I think the whole overarching, you know, point there was, and again, I'm sort of thinking of the next chapter in view at the same time. So maybe that's unfair, but, but you know, the whole thing is eschatological judgment, you know, so yeah, whether it's going into the ground or not, I mean, you've got like the end of the world happening, you know, and, and, and the wrath of God being poured out of which being buried was, was really but a symbol, you know, it was just that death element that, that, that had taken hold. Um, and, uh, and so, yeah, I mean, it is the big point he's making here, which is almost different to every other 
reformed argument I know, um, even when it comes down to things like uh, pedobaptism. So I think he made the point. It's just, but, but but it is interesting. Probably you know, if not subliminally, even you know, he's he's sort of moving in that direction to just because he knows where he wants to go with this. And yeah, ultimately. Because I mean, here let, let me put it before you. I mean, here here I'm always wrestling with where I know he wants to go. So mm. maybe I'm over reading into it. Right. But it seems to me, you know, as you think about baptism and you know is it primarily a communication because it's compound so it's mm. it's hard to you know which is background which is foreground do we give them a double emphasis mm. is one emphasized one above the other how does the new testament put the emphasis forward you know so let's talk about forensic and transformative mm-hmm. so forensic would have to do with christ dying a death mm-hmm. the wages of sin is death christ dies a death mm-hmm. you know he's cut off as a legal act yeah. in order that you know propitiation might take place all of god's wrath towards all of our sins be fully satisfied and be yeah. cut off yeah and so the burial which represents a death which represents the satisfaction which represents you know satisfying law it's very forensic isn't it mm-hmm. and then you've got uh the spirit you know, the spirit raises us to newness of life. Yeah. Spirit is talking about the new creation. It's, 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 it, we're, we're tasting the new creation in our new life and being helped in our new walk, which is what baptism is a, a door into, I suppose. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So as, 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 as the new Testament puts forward baptism and its meanings, I feel like Baptists emphasize the forensic aspect Got it. Yeah. in keeping with Paul, where he talks about being buried with Christ. Yeah. Yep. in baptism be yep. buried in baptism yeah as opposed to where fesco almost has to set it up in such a way that the holy spirit comes to the foreground right um and i would want to say that the spirit always points us back to christ and so the being in christ is 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 the paradigm of salvation and so it's our participation in his death and resurrection yeah and the spirit that enables that so we we participate in christ and his benefits and the spirit enables that but it's we're not being pointed directly to the spirit so to speak well they're both there and which is foreground which is background it's almost like asking which is background which is foreground on the flood event itself you know um because you know what is is it that the waters receded or that the water was you know that the new creation was happening and with the dove came with you know what was it that that was was it the judgment i think as a package you have to you have to take it as a package deal and that's the whole and and granted i mean it's compound i'm saying they're all there yeah. But how does the new does the new does the New Testament give one particular emphasis above the other? Well, you know, for me, and I, you know, I'm just cognizant that I say this all the time when I'm actually baptizing people as well. You know, even just it's not just the going under the water; it's the being pulled up out of the water yeah. thing. Amen. You know, the resurrection into newness of life, and I'm thinking there of Romans six anyway. You know, so it's like the whole thing. But is, resurrection is his vindication. So there's the forensic tied in with it. It's all. I mean, it's all. It's all merged. Right, but. It's like we we only I mean the the only point of the only reason he stresses that is to show that we have newness of life in that sense. Yeah. So so it's like we have died and therefore no longer in ourselves exist and have newness of life. And this is what our baptism shows us. Um, and therefore we fight sin and d- do all these things. But um, you know, I think so so bottom line is I'm I'm saying probably from my reading of Fesco, he would say both and. But you know, what what, what it is reminding me of though, just in light of, you know, the 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 sort of background idea that he might be wanting to move in a you know a fusion direction and so forth, I, I am reminded of of Klein really not liking the idea of sprinkling. You know, um, he just his I mean this is really just a, a repeat of Klein's theology and and Klein himself was not he was like listen sprinkling is not doing it <laughs> so if we got a fusion that's a that's a it's gonna it's gonna come closer to what this thing is all about but as baptists even on that point we just go along well why don't you just go the whole way you know why don't you you know which is kind of what you what you're getting at you you know yeah. fine to bring the spirit and fine to bring all that but don't leave out the the death part yeah. you know which i which, guess i guess what's in my mind is you know whenever paul talks about baptism it's being buried with christ yeah um, yeah. yeah, it's, you know, it's, and so to, to my mind, the emphasis does seem to be weighted towards a burial, a death, a resurrection coming out of a grave. So um, on that point, though, resurrection coming out of a grave, isn't that, yeah, amen. you know, but burial, this, but, but isn't it, coming isn't out of a grave, in, burial, yeah. it just reinforces the burial aspect. Um, isn't it in part because what Paul's doing is emphasizing unity with Christ and so, yeah, or exactly. union with Christ. And so, and so it's know, the spirit who unites us with Christ, but the spirit takes the background. Christ takes the foreground. Yeah. Um, well, I mean that, I think, 
but yeah, his death agree. or burial, I mean, you can't, you can't, I don't know. I See, because is, here's, 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 here's the issue. The we participate in Christ and his benefits and the Holy Spirit renovates the humanity of Christ and all the, 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 the benefits of our salvation, whether they're sanctification or glorification, are through Christ and the benefits coming through his renovated humanity. He becomes a life-giving spirit because of what the spirit's done to him. Yep, yep. Uh, 1 so, Corinthians 15, verse 45. So it's, it's always... Well, even on that point, though, right there, that's the whole, you know, I mean, the, that's everything. <laughs> Look, I'm not trying to divide. I'm really not trying to divide. Yeah. <laughs> it's no, like saying, you know, the right it's, I, I guess it's more like this. When, when Christ is tempted, which is which is the more important nature? Is human nature or is, is divine nature? He's human nature. Yeah. Next question. <laughs> Maybe um, wrong 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 example. Yeah, yeah. No, um, one that serves my my cause. Yeah, totally. Well, I think I think I don't know. For me, it's just like you can't have the whole thing with Paul is into your point is you can't have all of the 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 Holy Spirit resurrection. Yeah. pouring out without death and burial you know so Amen. you have to that whatever baptism is it has to communicate that you know and if you you, can't, you certainly can't go light on that point but you know i don't for for what it's worth yeah. i mean it you know so it was just i maybe i'm oversensitive to this and i thought he soft pedaled one and and was prejudicing it towards the other you've always struck so me as a as a sensitive guy yeah very sensitive very balanced as well yeah <laughs> <laughs> Um, I think we had both of those things come out right there. Sensitivity yeah. and balance. <laughs> I was very sensitive to it. <laughs> you were balanced. Balance it was nuanced. I like that. Um, should, should we push towards the conclusion? I, look, I've concluded this thing again and again and again. Yeah. Well, let me read a quote then, which I think he, he puts right. it very nicely in one paragraph. Okay. He says, the fulfillment of circumcision is the person and work of Christ. Come on. The circumcision of Israel males visibly preached that a future descendant would bring redemption. Mm. Hence the circumcision of the male reproductive organ, mm -hmm. the blood substitute, the one who was to avert the wrath of God on behalf of God's people, mm -hmm. the one who was to be cut off and circumcised from the land of the living. The long promised seed of the woman has come. Mm. He was cut off so that God's people would not be cut off and suffer covenant curse. And so Maybe actually, baptism actually, says all of that. Yeah, totally. And just, just to bring out a difference between circumcision and baptism, circumcision looks forward typologically, baptism looks back in fulfillment. Abraham's physical children are in view for circumcision, Abraham's spiritual children are in view for baptism. Uh, the male reproductory organ is in view for circumcision. Uh, it's not about procreation but proclamation when we when we talk about the the gospel and the new covenant uh there's a physical lineage of people in view for circumcision there's of course a spiritual people a new creation in view for for baptism it's a national jewish covenant when we're talking about circumcision uh what we're looking at is all tribes and tongues it's international it's mission it's global right with with baptism uh you included infants with circumcision and charged them to believe uh now we don't include infants because we include professors of faith who already believe not the elect professors of faith um we are in the old covenant in circumcision looking at the old creation the old jerusalem the seventh day worship aspect in the new creation now with the new jerusalem we're looking at baptism as a correspondent to the eighth day worship um we are you know they were waiting for the for the seed who would point forward to christ uh, we are now celebrating that he has come we are and the seed of christ we are the yeah. seed and, well you know and we, the, the, the the right has happened the actual thing that makes this yeah. all possible has now taken place and so administratively we look different so that and more you could say but that's hopefully just a good roundup to where were, um, where were you getting was that just your end note summary or are you reading from something that was from my heart as a you see as a baptist it wasn't from your heart it was, it was totally tattoo something on your on the left arm. <laughs> i just i glanced over at my 1689 tattoo Vereshipara Elohim et Hashamayin vaeta arts. Enarchi in hologos, ke hologos in prostonteon, ke theon in hologos. Lagos? Did he say Lagos? Lemon. Luo. Luatsaomai.
Enarchi in hologos, ke hologos in proston teon, ke theon in hologos. Logos. Did he say logos? <laughs>